Hey, so this morning we are going to be in Galatians chapter 3, and so if you have a Bible, you can go ahead and uh, flip there or open it on your phone or however you read the Bible. We'll also have it up on the screen behind us, behind me, um, so you can follow along. And uh, hey, if you do not have a Bible, if you don't own a Bible, uh, we have some, and we would love to just be a, give a gift to you of a Bible, and so... Uh, after service, let me know, let one of, one of our team members know, and we will get you a Bible because uh, we think that's an important thing to have, okay? So, um, as I said, we are in Galatians chapter 3. We're about halfway through uh, this book of Galatians, so I want to do a quick recap. Uh, Paul is writing this letter to a group of people, a group of churches in the region of Galatia, and these people are um, in danger of falling away from the gospel. They are in danger of turning to a false gospel. There's a group of people, uh, and Paul calls the Judaizers. And so these Judaizers are uh, Jewish Christians uh, that are telling Gentile Christians, so Gentile being not Jew, these Judaizers are telling these Gentile Christians that, hey, we, we know that you've trusted in Jesus, but you also, you know what you should do? You should follow the law. And they keep talking about circumcision. Uh, that's the one that keeps coming up. And if you were telling me to follow the law and that's the thing that you kept telling me I needed to do, I probably wouldn't want to do it either. Um, but Paul is writing and he is saying that, hey, um, these Judaizers are saying, are adding the law on top of the gospel of Jesus. And so uh, he is um, warning them. He is calling them out and telling them to remember what the gospel was that they began to practice from the beginning, that it was faith that made them righteous. It was faith that saved them, not the law. And so last week, Alex talked about um, that the law brings a curse and faith brings us into the family of Abraham. And so when we look at the family of Abraham, what was it about Abraham? Well, Abraham was promised a family. He was promised descendants, um, and it was by Abraham's faith that he was credited righteousness, right? And so we're going to talk about that a little bit more today. Uh, but in our text today, Paul is going to continue to talk about that, that faith is what saves. The law brings a curse, and Paul is going to explain that for these Gentiles, and even for these Judaizers, these Jews, the law was never meant to save us. The law um, was not meant to save us, but it was faith that was the method of salvation. And so as we look into the scripture today, um, we see that this is his argument of why the law was never the answer. So Galatians chapter 3, verse 15 and 16 is where we are going to start. And so Paul writes, To give a human example, brothers, even with a man-made covenant, no one annuls it or adds to it once it has been ratified. Now the promises were made to Abraham and to his offspring. It does not say offsprings, referring to many, but referring to one and to your offspring, who is Christ. And so Paul writes that no one ratifies a covenant. No one ratifies or changes a document that has already been put into place. And so Paul, as he is talking here, the wording is mainly talking about a last will and testament. So think about a last will and testament. No one can change that last will and testament. That once that person writes that last will and testament, once they are no longer here, that thing cannot be changed. 
right? And so Paul is saying that there was a promise, there was a covenant that was made by God. And that covenant, that promise was set in stone, right? That it is signed, sealed, and delivered. It is notarized because of things that are important. You have to get it notarized and pay $10. So if anybody in the church is a notary, just let us know. Um, all right. Uh, but Paul is writing about the promise that God had made in Genesis chapter 12 to Abraham. And so God made the promise to Abraham that I will bless you and I will bless your offspring with an inheritance. And so we know that God is faithful to his promise, that that promise cannot be changed by any man. That process will not change. It is signed, sealed, it is delivered. And, that, um, and then Paul also clarifies here that it is offspring, not offsprings. Okay, that it is a singular, it is talking about Christ, that the promise, we know that it is singular. It's not talking about all of Abraham's offsprings, all of his children, because what we know is that Abraham had more than one son, right? But the promise, the blessing was only through Isaac, not through Ishmael or Abraham's other sons. And then from Isaac, the blessing was passed on to who? To Jacob, not to his twin brother Esau. And we know that from Jacob, the promised blessing was passed down through Israel all the way to David. And then from David, it was passed all the way down to Jesus, who was the Messiah, the offspring, the singular offspring, the singular promise of the Messiah. That was the promise to Abraham. So the inheritance. What is the inheritance that comes from the offspring? Well, it is salvation. It is justification. It is redemption only through Jesus. So, that's the promise. That's the covenant that God made with Abraham. What does that have to do with the law? Let's look in verse 17. This is what I mean. Thank you, Paul, for putting it clearly. This is what I mean. The law which came 430 years afterward does not annul a covenant previously ratified by God so as to make the promise void. For if the inheritance comes by the law, it no longer comes by promise, but God gave it to Abraham by a promise. The law in no way replaces the promise. The law that came 430 years afterwards did not replace the promise that God originally made with Abraham. That Abraham, what does it say? He was credited righteousness because of his faith, because of his belief and his trust in the promise that God had already made, right? The promise that did not have any um, requirements from Abraham, that the promise was from God, that God is going to do this for Abraham. He didn't say, Abraham, and you also do these things if you want me to fulfill this promise. But God made this promise to Abraham, and Abraham trusted him. He put his faith in him, and it was credited to him as righteousness. So in that moment, Abraham was going to receive that blessing. He was going to receive the inheritance that God had promised him, the inheritance of salvation so why, over 400 years later, would the law take away that promise that God had made to Abraham? It wouldn't. And so because the law preceded, or because the promise preceded the law in time, it precedes the law in priority. 
that the promise of God came first, and it's the most important one. The law does not subsede, it does not take the place, it does not annul the promise that God has made with Abraham. God didn't just take it back after 430 years and decide that there was a better way to do it. That's not what happened, but the inheritance was the result of the promise, not the law. And again, we see that salvation, Paul hits this over and over again, salvation does not come from anything we can do. Salvation is not possible through the law. Salvation is only possible through the free gift and the promise that God has given us. And so our first point is that the law was never meant to save. The law was never meant to save. I think that it is a common belief, a common thought, um, that the old covenant for salvation was the law, right? That the old covenant was the law, and that's how people got saved. So you did all your sacrifices, you obeyed the rules, you followed the festivals and the rituals, you ate what you were supposed to eat. <laughs> Y'all get up here. All right. Uh, <laughs> it'll happen at least two more times. Don't laugh at me. All right. You ate what you were supposed to eat it. Uh, I'm just kidding. Um, that that was the method of salvation, was the old covenant. And then the new covenant, because the old covenant didn't work, the new covenant is Jesus, right? But what we see here is that the new covenant is actually older than the old covenant because the promise of Jesus came before the law. The promise of Jesus, the new covenant, is actually the old covenant because Jesus was promised to Abraham 430 years before the law ever even existed, before the stone tablets ever had anything written on them, right? And so for us, the law was never meant to save. The law cannot save, and we will talk about that it will not ever save, so it's no use in spinning your wheels trying to get it to save you because it was not meant to save, that Jesus has always been the plan for salvation. And so if that is the case, you might ask, why then the law? Well, in verse 19, Paul says, why then the law? Y'all ask good questions around here. It was added because of transgressions until the offspring should come to whom the promise had been made and it was put in place through angels by an intermediary. Now an intermediary implies one, more than one, but God is one. So why the law? Well, the law was added to point out the transgressions, to point out the sins of Israel. It was meant to point out the sins of God's chosen people. This word transgression here means to step out of bounds. It means to um, not go according to the perfect path, to be deviated from the path. And so the law, if we think about it, out, if we think about it as a perfect standard, that it is a perfect standard that we are to live by, it makes people aware when they are not living in that perfect standard, right? That when we step out, when we break one of the laws, it shows us that we cannot live up to perfection. That we cannot gain our salvation. And so the law, I like to think about it as a bowling lane, right? So this middle aisle here, just imagine this was a bowling lane. Right? What are on the sides of bowling lanes? They're gutters, right? And so when you do not bowl perfect, when you do not bowl how you're supposed to, your ball goes into the lane, right? It goes, or it goes into the gutter. 
And sometimes you'll get really lucky and they'll like hit something and pop out and you'll catch one. Like, I love when that happens. But for the most part, ball goes in the gutter. You see that you're not that great of a bowler, right? <laughs> Good bowlers don't bowl their ball in the gutters. But now imagine that that bowling lane, instead of three and a half feet or whatever it is wide, imagine that lane is one inch wide. Imagine that you have to bowl your ball all the way down that one inch lane. And on the side of that one inch is a gutter here and a gutter here. That one inch is perfection. And I think it's virtually impossible for us to bowl a ball perfectly down that lane. And over and over and over again, we will be living in the gutters. And over and over and over again, we will realize how non-perfect we are. And I believe that the, that the law, and Paul explains that the law, that is the, um, the purpose of it. That the purpose of the law is to be a perfect standard so that people can realize that they're not perfect. That it was added only temporarily until the offspring should come. Verse 21. Is the law then contrary to the promises of God? Certainly not. For if a law had been given that could give life, then righteousness would indeed be by the law. But the scripture, the scripture here means the law, but the scripture imprisoned everything under sin. It imprisoned everything under sin so that the promise by faith in Jesus Christ might be given to those who believe. Guys, this is so, so good. This is awesome. I get excited about this. And so the law is a blessing from God. How can this thing, that we've called a curse? How can this thing that we know only leads to death, how can this law be a blessing? Well, it's only a blessing if you realize what its purpose is. That the law was a given gift by God, and when we know the purpose of the law, it is a blessing for us. So the scripture or the law imprisoned everything under sin, okay? Imagine, it imprisoned all of us that it has shut us up under sin and under death. All of us. Nobody's free. Nobody's outside of the shackles of sin. And the law shows us that. And so, the law is a blessing because the law serves as a diagnosis. The law diagnoses that we are messed up, that we are sick, that we are broken, and that we are sinful. The law diagnoses and shows us our sinfulness and that we fall short of perfection. And it's only, it's only through the diagnosis that we can know that we need to be saved, right? I think uh, there's a lot of people that hate going to the doctor, right? Probably a lot of people in this room right now hate going to the doctor. And I think for some people, the reason they hate going to the doctor is because they think that the doctors might, might tell them something bad. Well, I think there's a, probably a good chance that the bad thing that the doctor's going to tell you has a cure. Right? There, there's a chance that if you go to the doctor and you find out that he diagnoses you with some illness or some disease, there's a chance that there's a cure for that disease. Right? And so it's silly not to go get that diagnosis. And so for us, believers, 
For us humans, we see that there is a diagnosis that we are sinful, that we are messed up, that we are sick. But guess what? We know that there is a cure. We know only through the diagnosis that there is a cure. And so the um, diagnosis points us to the healing. It points us to the treatment. It points us to our Savior, who is Jesus. And that's our second point, that the law points to the promise. It points to the promise of the Messiah, of the Savior. It points to the same promise that was given to Abraham 430 years earlier. Abraham didn't have to earn his promise. You don't go get a diagnosis and then decide that you're going to go try to figure out how to heal yourself. I hope. But the law was meant to help Israel see that they needed a savior because they fell so short of perfection. And for us, the law, the Ten Commandments, the 613 laws and rituals and festivals and, and all the things, the traditions that they had in the Jewish law were meant to show them that that promise that was given to Abraham, that promise is what you need to. So what does this mean for them and what does it mean for us? Verse 23. Now before faith came, we were held captive under the law imprisoned until the coming faith would be revealed. So when it says before faith came, that is talking about Jesus. It is talking about the faith in the Messiah. Before faith came, we were captive until the coming faith would be revealed. So then the law was our guardian until Christ came. So remember that word guardian. In order that we might be justified by faith, but now that faith has come, we are no longer under a guardian, for in Christ Jesus you are all sons of God through faith. So, this word guardian here, um, it, it means something like a, uh, like a caretaker, or, or maybe a nanny, a super nanny, if you will, um, that wealthy families... In this context, in this time period, and, and still today, uh, wealthy families would have a, a guardian, a caretaker to watch their children. Okay, so this caretaker, um, oftentimes there would be one caretaker for one, per child. And so this caretaker would go around and, and supervise every child. They would take them to school. They would get them dressed. They would feed them. They would make sure they did their homework. They would discipline them. It's a real bona fide Mrs. Doubtfire, okay? Um, and, and the role, the job of this guardian was to train the children. The job of the guardian was to point out the faults, to point out the areas that they needed improvement. And this child would have a guardian or caretaker until the point where they were looked at as a grown adult until they had that ceremony that um, said that they were now an old enough kid or old enough adult to live on their own, right? But before they got to that point, before they hit 18, if you will, they had a caretaker who would follow them around and make sure they didn't do anything bad. Some of y'all are, are trying to Google that right now, figure out if y'all can find one of those. But the law had the same purpose for us. 
The law had the same purpose to show us where we needed improvement. The law was strict. The law was a supervisory. But ultimately, the law pointed to Christ. And so no longer are we under a guardian. No longer longer are we under somebody who is pointing out every one of our flaws and our failures and our sins and our transgressions, but we are God's grown children. Scripture says that we are the sons of God. Ladies in here, you are the sons of God. Let me tell you why I'm saying that. Right? Don't throw things at me. Scripture says it. That's why. Okay. Um, you are the sons of God because the son in this context, the son is the one who receives the inheritance. The son is the one who receives the blessing, who receives the estate, who receives all of the riches of the father's house. It was given to the son. It was never given to the daughter. And so, when Paul is writing here, he's saying, you are the son. You are the one who receives the inheritance. You are the rightful heir to God. So ladies, you are the sons. But guess what? Men, you're called the bride of Christ, so we're even. <laughs> All right. You can be a daughter if you want. But you're a daughter who receives the inheritance of God. You're a daughter who is an heir who receives the blessing of God of the father let's continue verse 27 for as many of you as were baptized into christ have put on christ there is neither jew nor greek there is neither slave nor free there is no male and female for you are all one in christ and if you are christ then you are abraham's offspring heirs according to promise it is through the grace of Jesus that each one of us is brought into the family of God. It is through the grace of Jesus. And when we put our faith in that, that God says that we are brought into his family, that we are now heirs of the offspring that uh, was promised to Abraham. That we are clothed with Christ. How are we clothed with Christ? What does it say? It says through baptism. Right, that baptism is this symbol of being dunked under the water. You are dunked under the water one person, and when you are raised out of it, you are a new person. That the old you is dead and gone, and the new you is raised to walk with Christ. The new you is no longer defined by what you were and who you were, but the new you is defined by Christ, that you put on the clothing of Christ, that that um, analogy is used over and over in Scripture, and Paul is using it here because the, symboliz the symbolism of dying to yourself and putting on Christ and living in the Spirit is very much, would be very well understood here in this time period. Because a boy, as he just talked about, we are no longer um, little kids under a guardian, but we are now grown adults, sons receiving the inheritance of the father, right? So a kid in this Roman society would wear a kid toga. An adult man would wear an adult toga. But when that son, when that child was ready, and when the father said they were ready to become an adult, to officially have their ceremony, whatever that ceremony was, 
they would receive an adult toga and so they would no longer wear a child's one. I don't know if that meant they went from a twin size sheet to a king size sheet. I don't really know how togas work, uh, but I know that you could tell the difference between a child and a man by what he wore. And for us, if you are a believer in this room, as Paul is writing to these Christians in Galatia, for them, you wear different clothing when you are trusted, when you have trusted in Jesus that you are baptized, the old you is dead, the new you has come, and the new you is in Christ. And we are brought in as one family. That who you were before, if you were a slave, slaves were not treated well, women were not treated well, children were not treated well in this culture. And it doesn't matter who you were because once you are in Christ, you are one with Christ. Does that mean that we no longer have distinctions as Christians? No, we absolutely have distinctions. That we are different races, we are different genders, we come from different backgrounds and we do all those things and it is a beautiful picture that God paints. But we are one with Christ, that there is no second class, there is no backup, there is no favoritism, that we are all one in Christ's family. And if you are Christ, then you are heirs, fulfilling God's promises to Abraham. So that's the end of chapter 3. Um, and we are going to go into chapter 4. We're going to read the first seven verses, and then we're going to end. So, chapter 4, verse 1. I mean the heir, that the heir, as long as he is a child, is no different from a slave, though he is the owner of everything. Right? So a, a child is no different from a slave, that even though one day they will receive an inheritance, even though they have been promised to receive the estate, the, the cattle, the land, everything that the father has, they have been promised it, but it is not yet theirs because they are a child and they have no right to it yet. But he is under a guardian and managers until the day set by his father. And in the same way, we also, when we were children, were enslaved to the elementary principles of the world. We were that child. That God had promised us salvation. He has promised us an inheritance. He has promised us these things. But before we had trusted in that, before we had placed our faith in that, before we have accepted that gift and that promise, we are living like that child, a slave to what? To the elementary principles, a slave to sin, a slave to the weight of the law, a slave to the shackles and the imprisonment that the law brings to us because it shows us over and over again that we are wicked, that we are sinful. And church, that's where each and every one of us live until, verse 4, but the fullness, but when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem, to redeem those who were under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons. And because you are sons, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir through God.
redeem. This word redeem means to purchase. This word redeemed is typically used when you are purchasing something out of bondage or out of slavery. Church, you were a slave, but Christ purchased you with his blood. That Christ redeemed you with his life to take you out of slavery and bring you into his family. That he purchased you as a slave and he adopted you as a son. And if you accept that sonship, if you accept that you are a son and no longer a slave, then you can cry out to your good dad, Abba, Father, because the same Spirit of God that is in Jesus has been given to us. The Spirit of the true one and only Son of God is placed inside of us so that we can cry out to our good dad, so that we can live truly as a son and as an heir, no longer as a slave, no longer is one trying to earn their uh, value, trying to work for their keep. We're no longer a slave, but you are a son because you have been redeemed by Jesus. That the law could never do that. But that comes through a promise. And so I have two questions for you that we're going to end with. First question is, do you believe the promise? It was Abraham's faith that was counted as him as righteousness. That Abraham had faith and he trusted the promise that God had given him and it was credited to him as righteousness that he trusted in the promise and he trusted and he knew that we could not be good enough to earn the inheritance. We cannot be good enough to earn the blessing. In fact, we are actually all bad enough to never deserve it. But God gives it freely. And do you believe that the God is, that our God, that the God of the universe is so good that he would freely give you a gift that you didn't deserve, that he would freely promise you an inheritance, that he would freely promise you to be a son and receive the blessings of the Father, that the riches of the Father are so great that his bank account never runs dry, that his mercy is never ending, that his grace is never ending, that his love is never ending. Do you believe the promise that you receive that? Because as we talked about, you are no longer a slave. It's not about how bad you have been. But you have been promised a savior. You have been promised an inheritance. The second question is, do you believe you're a son? A daughter? Do you act as one who is adopted, who is chosen, who is loved by the father? Or do you act like a slave who is living in the house but trying to earn their keep? Who is scared, who feels unworthy, who's not truly free? You are no longer a slave, 
but a son. And if a son, then an heir through God. Church, let us receive the promise that has been given to us. No strings attached. But there is a promise that is given to you that you receive the inheritance of a son, that you receive the blessings of the father, the riches and the grace that God has. All of it is given to you. Let's pray. Jesus, we, uh, I just thank you. I thank you so much that, Lord, you call me a son. Or that because of no work of my own, because of nothing that I bring to the table, God, you have given me a promise. You have made a promise to each one of us in this room. The same promise that you made to Abraham. Lord, I pray that we would not disqualify ourselves from that gift because of shame or guilt, because of our past. But Lord, I pray for each person in this room that they would accept that promise, that they would put their faith in that promise, no matter how little they can understand that promise. And Lord, for the person in this room who has never trusted, who can't fathom that a God who is perfect would love them, I pray that just at this time they would, um, they would choose you. They would choose to believe the promise of your goodness. They would choose to believe that you have sent a Savior for them. And they would place their faith and their trust in you this morning. Church, if you need to do that today, um, you can mark that on your Connect card. You can come talk to me right after this. But if the Lord is leading you to trust in Him today, to receive the promise that He has given to you, do not leave this place without taking care of that. And God, for those of us in here who know the promise, we trust the promise. We believe the promise with our head, but I pray that we would believe the promise in our heart, that we would believe that you call us a son, that you have brought us into the family with love, that you have chosen us out of slavery. You have redeemed us. And I pray that we would live by the spirit of your son, crying out, Abba, Father, living in the freedom of your goodness. Jesus, we give ourselves to you. We thank you for your word. We thank you that you have redeemed us. I pray that we would live in it. We pray this in your holy name. Amen.